This week on WealthTrack, the outperformance potential and socially responsible bond funds. Steve Libertor explains his winning approach in TAA Kreft's social choice bond fund next on Consuelo Mac WealthTrack. Welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Socially responsible investing has taken off, and interest in it is accelerating. As we've reported before in Wealth Track, U.S. assets invested in companies screened for ESG or their environmental governance and social policies grew 38% over the last two years by more than $3 trillion to $12 trillion. According to U.S. SIF, or the Forum for Sustainable and Responsible Investment, which tracks these funds, that $12 trillion represents 26%, or one in four dollars, of U.S. assets under professional management. Bank of America Merrill Lynch estimates that another $20 trillion of assets will move into ESG funds over the next two decades, driven by interest from women, millennials, and high net worth individuals in particular. The firm's global research group recently released a report titled Top 10 Reasons You Should Care About ESG. Among the points that I found particularly interesting were you can do good and do well. A strategy of buying stocks that rank well on ESG metrics would have outperformed the market by up to three percentage points per year over the last five years. 70% of U.S. assets can't be analyzed without using ESG. Intangible assets like reputation, brand, and intellectual property have reached record highs for the S&P 500 companies. Financial metrics alone no longer suffice. ESG metrics are the best signal of earnings risk we have found. The researchers concluded that traditional financial metrics such as earnings quality, leverage, and profitability don't come close to ESG as a signal of future earnings risk or earnings per share volatility along the same lines that ESG could have helped avoid 90% of bankruptcies. The report said that 15 out of 17, that's 90% of bankruptcies, in the S&P 500 between 2005 and 2015 were of companies with poor environmental and social scores five years prior to the bankruptcies. Well, this week's guest is a leader in the relatively recent field of ESG investing in fixed income, as well as the new area of impact investing in public fixed income markets, where bond proceeds are directed to a specific project or goal, and the results are measurable. He is Steve Liberator, Lead Portfolio Manager at TIAA Investments for Responsible Investment Fixed Income Mandates that incorporate ESG criteria. Among his responsibility is being lead portfolio manager of the firm's flagship TIAA Craft Social Choice Bond Fund, which he has run since its 2012 inception. The $4 billion plus fund is ranked five star by Morningstar and carries a bronze medalist analyst rating. It has handily beaten 90% of the entire intermediate term bond category and traditional bond benchmark. I asked Liberator what he looks for as a socially responsible bond investor in a field that has traditionally been dominated by equity investors. To your point, ESG investing had historically been focused on the equity markets because of the simple concept that in order to have a influence over an issuer, 
you would have the vote as an equity holder. You right. Know? So the thought would be that as the as an equity holder, you would go and be able to vote proxies and influence you know corporate behavior in, in that way. In the fixed income market, clearly we don't have the vote, so we we don't have the ability to do that. But what we do have are the purse strings. Companies are going to come to the fixed income market substantially more frequently than they're ever going to go to the equity market. And for us as an investor, we're also not focused on companies that have to be publicly traded. So for us in fix, we're able to engage with issuers across the board. So we work certainly with corporations to try to find opportunities to find good ESG investments or for them to be able to improve their ESG quality or maybe find an impact investment that would work for our investor base. But we also work in multitude of other sectors, municipals, agencies. We've seen a large growth in sovereign issuances, especially with the government issues, exactly. right. Exactly. And that gives us an opportunity as well as with structured securities to find opportunities to really align our investors' holdings with their values while certainly focusing on first and foremost active total return. So what are you trying to accomplish based at TIA, Kraft's parent company, Nuveen, as well when, when you talk about uh, responsible investing? Looking at your literature, uh, you know, you kind of had three points, uh, integration of environmental, social, and governance factors, proactive engagement with issuers and other industry stakeholders, uh, and impact. So let's take them one at a time. Sure. The integration of environmental, social, and governance um, factors. How do you do that? For how we do it on the fixed income side and and in my strategies are that in order to make it into one of the portfolios I manage, a security has to be considered an ESG leader. So what we use is a variety of third-party data sources. We have a separate responsible investment team who works closely with the data providers to help create an eligible universe for us that effectively consists of um, best of industry class. So what we want to do is be supportive of issuers who, within their sector, are doing the best that they possibly can on the environmental, social, and governance criteria that are important to their sector. And and this is an area where I think it's really important to always let everybody know is we're not making a value judgment. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not saying do not invest in an oil and gas company. What we're saying is if you are going to invest in an oil and gas company, the ones you should look at is maybe the company that has never had a spill has never had a fine for a regulatory issue versus maybe looking at a company that's had 10 10 fines Mm -hmm. over 10 years or maybe five spills because the way that we're looking at that is that the risk of the second company generating free cash flow is higher than than the first company because you've seen a little bit better of a stewardship of the environment through their operations. So the ability for them to project stable free cash flow going forward is a little bit higher. So that raises actually, I mean, a, a lot of questions. And one of them, I, you were quoted somewhere as saying that, you know, that ESG investing makes sense in the fixed income space because those issues, the issuers don't blow up. Right. So it's, it's, so it's, it's a, a risk metric as well, and it's a plus. Exactly. And that's one of the things that we think is that the utilization of ESG criteria is a competitive advantage within fixed income because of how you generate excess return in fixed income mm-hmm. isn't by picking winners, it's by avoiding the loser. Right. So when you think of ESG criteria, and I think historically all good credit analysts have always done ESG analysis, but what we're doing is helping, if you're doing it correctly, identify the best operated and managed issuers, therefore the ones least likely to have a problem or blow up in mm-hmm. the future. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you think about it, the governance side, do you ever really want to be invested in a company or any issuer that's had a historical problem along accounting history? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, on the environmental side, as we just, descri- as we right. just discussed, if you're not a good steward of the environment, 
but you're materially financially exposed to the environment, you're putting at risk your ability to generate free cash flow, and that free cash flow is the key to being able to repay us who are primarily unsecured borrowers. And another point that you've kind of raised is that a lot of the original uh, socially responsible investing was exclusionary yes. and that I, you know, I'm not going to invest in defense contracts. I'm not going to invest in fossil fuels now, which is becoming more and more common. Right. It was a not going to invest in as opposed to a pro, yes, I'm going to be more open. And one of the criticisms was that therefore ESG investing was not diversified Correct. enough, that you were really limiting your universe of options. You are not doing that. The, the historical issue with ESG investing, and I think it's what has led to the main misperception in this space, is that to be a responsible investor, you must sacrifice performance. Right. And we fully believe that's not the case. You know, capitalism and responsible investing work extremely well when done correctly together. And, but maybe at one point it was. If, if you really limited your choices Correct. a lot, Correct. then maybe you were sacrificing Absolutely. performance in the early days. And the thing is, if you were focused on exclusionary screening, what you were doing, you would leave entire sectors out. Right. So you would never invest in an oil and gas company. So if oil and gas outperformed, you were structurally deficient in your portfolio. There was no way for you to keep up. Right. Um, so that was certainly an issue, and I think that's what led to that misperception. But what it also did simultaneously, and I think this is a really important point, is that it also provided a lack of incentive for an issuer to talk to you. Mm -hmm. So as an issue, as an investor, you're the CEO of an oil and gas company. If I want to talk to you just about your operations, maybe what you could do to improve your ESG quality, mm -hmm. hey, maybe talk to you about shifting your business somewhat, investing in maybe renewable fuel and renewable energy as a, as a diversification play for your firm, you have no reason to talk to me because you know no matter what you say to me, I can't invest with you. Right. Whereas now, where you're shifting to a best of industry class, what you can do is you have the opportunity to have that engagement and that discussion. And you've gone from pure stick to carrot and stick where you can go and speak to an issuer and say, hey, this is what we're looking for. These are what your peers are doing. So it's clearly possible within your sector. So if it is something that you want to attract the ESG investment dollar, mm -hmm. these are the types of things you can do. And here's a guideline for what you need to do. And here are some key points you can focus on. And what we have found is that's a great opportunity for, for in, issuers to really try to focus on what maybe they can improve overall. Right. And, you know, these issuers, you know, the CEOs, he and she are very competitive. Mm -hmm. So when you can say to them, you know, your competitor is doing X, Y, and Z, which allows for us to invest with them, then they start thinking, well, if they can do it, we can do it. And we want to attract that 16 to $32 trillion worth of, of investor dollar that's right. only growing over time. Right, so you feel as an ESG investor who's open to talking to kind of all comers, yes. right? If they're willing to improve uh, their business practices and everything else, so you're really moving the needle in a positive way right. as far as kind of no matter what the business is. But again, I mean, is any, any absolutely will not invest in that sector? Yeah, the ones that we generally avoid are your consistent controversy issues, which right. would be alcohol, tobacco, firearms, pornography, things like that, um, right. nuclear alcohol power, even. alcohol even. Uh -huh. um, and cannabis. Cannabis is not something we would invest in, correct. Okay. And it really is something that we apply but really kind of comes out in the process that I described of doing an intra-sector ESG analysis that, you know, an alcohol company would be considered a consumer discretionary. Right. So when you do an ESG analysis on the consumer discretionary sector, if you're an alcohol company, you're going to fall more to the bottom just because of the issue of alcohol versus the other consumer discretionary firms 
that don't have that as a potential controversy mm -hmm. or issue within their business mix. So proactive engagement with issuers and other industry stakeholders. Um, and as you said, you can't vote your, your, your shares. That's right. But, but you hold the purse strings. And so yeah. you can decide whether or not you're going to lend money to somebody who obviously needs money for their business that's, forever. That's and so, exactly. so that's, that's where your, your clout is. Um, tell us about how proactive your engagement is with these with these issuers of bonds. Yeah, we generally, I probably have, myself and my team probably have between two and three conversations a week with issuers. Real, uh, with a, a whole variety of issues. whole variety of issues. Yeah, yeah. So that would include corporations, that would include, you know, municipalities, structured security right. issuers. Um, Who do you talk to, the treasurers? Treasurer, right. CFOs, it depends okay. upon, we've had numerous conversations with CEOs. You have, I was wondering, so are you in, in the, going into the Sweet. Yeah. yeah. So we're getting there because, again, this is what the, the interesting thing about this entire space is that now that you're starting to see product that is managed against common benchmarks, especially in the fixed income space, if you're managed against common benchmarks, but your portfolio consists of ESG leaders, so your portfolio is at higher ESG quality, mm -hmm. and you're also making impact investments, what you're seeing is that the investor has an opportunity to invest with their values, not sacrificing performance. Mm -hmm. And I think that everyone is starting to see that, including the executives, and understanding that as we continue to shift towards the, the fastest growing investor base are female investors and millennial mm -hmm. investors. Millennials, right. And the two of them, north of 70%, want to incorporate ESG into their investment portfolio. Right. And I think what we're seeing is that executives are starting to understand, and we saw the, the letters um, you know, that were released by Jamie Dimon and a, and a bunch of other executives talking about how their focus is no longer purely on the shareholder, right. but it's a broader stakeholder view. And I think that that makes a lot of sense because what companies especially are seeing is that the, most people, are very focused on the environment. Mm -hmm. You know, they're concerned about it. And, and this cuts across political affiliation or political belief. What is the company doing in regards to mitigating or adapting to climate change? And that also goes for their employees. Mm -hmm. That goes to their, their customers and their investors, both bondholders and shareholders. And, and I think people are starting to understand that ESG really just speaks to longer run issues and risks that have to be incorporated into business planning, mm -hmm. again, to prevent a deterioration of future free cash flow. And if, you're, and if you fail to do that, your company is going to be at risk to truly be negatively impacted by one of these major risks that you've avoided. The investors are shunning the energy industry. Um, and it's not a short-term trend. It seems to be a longer-term trend. Right. Now, of course, you're not, as you just said, because right. you're not excluding, you are right. including right. If, if companies are responsible. Correct. And they can be even within the fossil fuel industry by you know, your standards. That's correct. Right. And I think that's the key is you want to support those issuers that are willing to, to tackle difficult longer-term risks that in some cases could be existential to their business profile, right. their business as a whole. And I think that's part of the reason we're starting to see especially large E&P companies start- Exploration and production. Exploration and mm -hmm. production companies start to create renewables subsidiaries. Mm -hmm. So you've seen Shell and BP specifically have started trying to build out businesses around solar and wind. Right. So I think that it makes sense because that's a step forward for the company to start thinking, hey, maybe there's something here that we need to start shifting towards mm -hmm. that is reflective of longer term trends so that we are in existence 
you know, right. 50, 100 years from now so that we're not left behind. And I think that's a really important factor. One of the reasons we think ESG investing makes sense and, and will make sense over the long run, and we've started to see some studies, not just our own performance st numbers, but studies come out, um, Barclays and B of A both have done pieces you know, in 2018, mm -hmm. that speak to high ESG companies tend to be ones that are more forward-looking. Right. They're longer-run focused. They're not necessarily focused on the next quarter. They're focused on the next 100 years. And because of that, they're willing to address and speak to concerns that maybe other companies or other issuers don't want to talk to or want to try and avoid. Another uh, you know, part of what you said your mission is at TIA Craft, uh, I mentioned, is impact investing. So that's a large part of your portfolio. Um, impact investing, what, what does that mean? Yeah, for us, the way that we look at impact investing is as a direct and measurable outcome. So when we, again, speaking to the bond market, right. and again, impact investing, I think, is unique for the bond market because of the opportunity set that's presented to us. You know, we don't need to have a equity issuer. We can find, a sub, we can find one of their subsidiaries, for example. So if an issuer is not someone that's considered an ESG leader at the moment and we can't invest in their straight debt, but maybe they have a large renewables project or a large mm -hmm. renewables fleet, then we find that subsidiary and, and work with that issuer to get issuances tied directly to, say, the renewables operation or maybe mm -hmm. even a project finance deal to a larger portfolio of, say, wind farms. So direct engagement with something Correct. that is socially responsible exactly. or, right, exactly. and that and has an impact, an immediate exactly. impact. So the measurable part is what we're looking for is for an issuer to be able to provide back to us impact measurement. So what we want to see is the opportunity for an investor to be able to, at the end of the day, see how their dollar is affecting areas or causes or concerns that are important to them. So for all the strategies that I manage, we generate an impact report annually so that in addition to having a financial result, which we hope is positive, generating excess return for the investor, they're able to look at this impact report and see the four thematic areas that we focus on, which are affordable housing, community and economic development, renewable energy and climate change, and natural resources, and see the main metrics that we've you know, accomplished through their investment right. holdings. Because what we want to do, and we generate that data and also make sure we translate into something that is understandable for the average investor. You know, So when, I, when you see the report that says, you know, your investments generated 281.2 you know, million megawatt hours of power. Mm -hmm. Is that a lot? Is that a little? Mm -hmm. I don't know. So you know. you're putting it into context for <laughs> yeah, We put it into well? context by okay. translating that into saying that's equal to 22.8 million average U.S. homes. Okay. And we're able through all of our impact areas to come up with data points and metrics so that we can show the investor that they are having a direct impact, that they are helping to lower the cost of capital for these issuers, making them more cost competitive so that more of them are built or, or utilized in the future, which is very important to our investor base right after generating excess return. Mm -hmm. So it's really important for us when we look at these transactions that, again, we're evaluating them as any other investment we made. Mm -hmm. We, uh, my, one of my favorite sayings is we could find a security could come to market tomorrow that would eliminate the need for fossil fuel. However, it trades too rich, we wouldn't participate in it mm -hmm. because we believe that in order to create a virtuous cycle, we have to dispel that main misperception of sacrificing performance right. by generating good performance, bringing more assets in so we can invest in more ESG leaders and more of these impact investments in order to continue to grow and have the, the type of overall impact our investors are looking to have.
I'm, th I'm thinking of the the impact investing yeah. piece because you did say that it's a you know it's a fairly sizable portion yes. of your portfolio, and the the liquidity piece yes. of that. So you're offsetting any illiquidity that you have with treasuries or correct. And and how how does that impact your performance? One of the things that we do is when we're looking at this, we think that we've structured a portfolio that with the utilization of the ESG leaders, we believe that over time those leaders are going to benefit the portfolio in a dislocated market. So in a downturn, those ESG leaders are going to blow up less. They're going okay. to be less volatile, so you're going to see better performance in the down market. In an up market, what you're going to see are the, the impact investments are really going to lead the way because they are more bespoke, they carry more spread to them, mm -hmm. and they're a little bit more forward-looking, and we're looking and making investments that the rest of the market hasn't caught up to mm -hmm. yet, and that in and up credit market, that's, those are the types of investments that work. So what would surprise us that you own? Oh, that's a good question. Um, we own things, some of the more interesting things we own would be um, a deal we did earlier this year where we worked with a county in Arkansas to mm -hmm. help fund a vocational school. Mm -hmm. um, that particular transaction is going to have 540 seats. Um, and it's going to be fed into from six different school districts within that county and um, focus on education around HVAC, plumbing, electrical, carpentry, mm -hmm. high-skilled jobs that there isn't a lot of funding for schools for anymore. Right. And so it's interesting. That was a very interesting opportunity for us. So the impact is what? That impact, we believe, is going to be um, helping the middle, helping middle class income, helping to create middle class jobs, providing a better economic future for the 540 students that attend that school, right. and help the country by providing high skilled labor into a market that is, you know, desperately in need of those types of skills. What would you choose as as the one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, something that we should all own some of in a portfolio? I, I personally think, and I'll be talking my book with this one, I do think it's fixed income. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that is, is sadly ignored, you know, we're not an exciting story on the fixed income side. It can be a little confusing. There's a lot of math. You know, we, we say there's art with a little bit of science behind fixed income, but it's a really big diversifier. Look at this year, for example, you know, understanding that stocks have had a very good run this year, but if you had been in fixed income, you're looking at a nine plus percent return. And on a risk adjusted basis, that looks very attractive, especially relative to other, uh, other asset classes. It's also important to have that ballast in your portfolio, that if there is a problem or if some other area becomes more volatile, that fixed income tends to act as that cushioning blow because you are generating income off of it. So specifically, what kind of fixed income? I think you really want to look at taxable fixed income, and I think that you want to look at higher quality taxable fixed income. Um, things like high-quality corporate issuers, mm -hmm. high-quality ABS or high-quality CMBS. And even an, another area that we have been very positive on has been taxable municipal securities. So Taxable municipal taxable securities, Taxable municipal right. securities. Mm -hmm. uh, and we believe, you know, that when you see an, a AA-rated municipal, that is not equal to a AA-rated corporate. You know, that, that I know that the rating agencies have said that they have tried to equalize their rating spectrum, but we believe that those municipals are still of very high quality, especially relative to a corporate. And especially if you stick to kind of your essential services and your GO type securities, mm -hmm. general obligation, general obligation mm -hmm. securities, you're in a position where you have great security um, while picking up spread, especially right now relative to corporates. Right. Thank you so much, Steve Libertor. What a fascinating field you're in. Um, and thank you for all that wonderful information. Thank you very much for having me. It's been an honor.
At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is consider a socially responsible bond fund in your fixed income mix. As we just mentioned, ESG investing, focusing on companies with good environmental, social, and governance practices has a long history in stock investments, but in recent years, the screening processes have migrated to fixed income. There are several different categories of socially responsible fixed income investing emerging. There is the very broad and inclusive mandate practiced by Steve Liberatore at the TIA Kreft Social Choice Bond Fund, which screens a wide universe of corporate and municipal bonds for ESG practices, as well as ones focused on social issues and direct impact bonds. Then there is the much smaller category of social bonds, which finance social projects, frequently causes helping vulnerable populations, and the even tinier market of impact bonds, which finance a specific project. Add to them green bonds for environmental projects, and there are other categories being created as we speak. Socially responsible investing has proven itself to be a competitive strategy to traditional investing in stocks. The much larger global bond market is ripe for this kind of analysis and strategies. Next week, a rare Next Generation interview with great investor Chuck Ockrey and John Neff, his co-portfolio manager of the top-ranked Ockrey Focus Fund. On this week's Extra on WealthTrack.com, Steve Liberatore shares how he got involved in socially responsible investing. We love it when you get involved with us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thanks for spending your precious time with us. Enjoy your weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.